And we're going to read this morning from Luke chapter 2. It's already been read today, but we will reread it today. Part of the, the story that Luke records in Luke chapter 2, the nativity story. Beginning in verse 8. And it says, There were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. You know that we changed the words of songs when we were kids. I've sang some of those for you. And Christmas carols were no exception. And we used to sing that song and they, as they washed their socks by night, not watching over their flock. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid because of their socks they needed to wash. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And I just want to take two words out of that text and preach to you from that this morning. It's found in verse 10, and it's just the two words, fear not. Fear not. I want us to pray this morning. Lord Jesus, we come before you believing and trusting you, Lord, knowing that you are in this place. Because we know that there are people gathered in your name with your spirit. And so we know that you are here today, God. And Lord, I pray that you would let your word come forth clearly, God. Lord, that you would anoint our ears to hear your word today, Lord, as we celebrate your word in this time of year. Lord, I believe you and trust you that your word can transform and change us and challenge us, God. Lord, that you would encourage today, Lord. We give you praise and glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated this morning. Fear not. We find here the story of the angels appearing to the shepherds after the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem, which is told of in the verses preceding that we read. And while I know that Scripture does not record every single word in every instance that occurred, we can only take the narrative that we are given. And we find the, in the, the narrative of Luke that he tells of the birth of Jesus. And then we find him moving to some fields on the outskirts of town. We find him moving to the shepherds and what is taking place unbeknownst to Mary and Joseph while they are concerned with the child, and rightly so, that's laying in the manger. We find the story shifting and something else begins to take place simultaneously. When the angel appears to the shepherds on this night, when they, it's just another night for them, it's just uh, a regular work night, they're working the night shift, and you know, that's uh, nothing ever happens then, and it's just supposed to be calm, it's just supposed to be quiet. But we know that the angels appeared to them suddenly out of the heavens, and we find that the shepherds uh, have this great encounter. But the first words that we find recorded after the birth of Christ, again, whether they were the actual words, but we can only take from the narrative, they are the first recorded words that after Jesus Christ is born on this earth, the first words that were uttered were, fear not, fear not. While the angels speak these words to the shepherds in that specific moment because they were afraid, I don't know if you've ever been woken out of your sleep suddenly, <laughs> and we all have different reactions to being awoken or awakened, awoke, it's woke, uh, out of our sleep. 
We all have different reactions. I know uh, my wife, when she is sleeping, uh, a, a, a slight noise. This right here, you can't even hear that. It sounds like, like you're stomping on her head to her. She'll start and say, what in the world? is?" And you're like, I'm barely even moving. I'm not even doing anything. I remember one time someone woke me up, and I, I don't know what was going on in my head. I don't know if I was dreaming, but I just automatically reached out and punched them right in the face. So the moral of that story is, if you have something that you need to do someone, just pretend you're asleep and you can get away with it. <laughs> they say you're not responsible for the first 10 seconds after you wake up. So we find the, the, the shepherds, whether they were asleep or not, we know that they were astonished and in some kind of condition for those words fear not to be uttered to them because, make no mistake, I'm sure they were afraid. And so those words were for the shepherds in that moment, but I believe the words fear not have a far more reaching implication for just the shepherds on a hillside thousands of years ago. I don't think it was a mistake that the first words that we find recorded uttered after the Messiah, Emmanuel, God with us is born in a stable in Bethlehem, our fear not. Throughout scripture we find God telling his people to not fear. We find in Genesis he tells Abraham to fear not, I will be your shield and protection. God tells Hagar to fear not because he has heard the voice of the lad in the desert and it says where he is. I'm thankful that God hears me where I am. Moses told the Israelites to fear not, of course, when the Egyptians were behind them and the sea was in the front, and he told them to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Don't be afraid. He, <coughs> excuse me. He tells the Israelites numerous times to fear not because of their enemies, but God will fight for them. You do not have to be afraid. Elijah tells the woman who's gathering sticks about to have her last meal to fear not. The prophet tells her that God will, will provide if you just give to him what, you, what I've asked you to. In fact, there are over 365 fear nots or be not afraid contained in scripture. They are found in every book of the Bible and we are not going to go over all of them. Thank goodness you say. <laughs> but over 365, God wants to make sure that you are not afraid, that, he, that you know that He is there, that He is faithful, that He is true, that He will be, be your shield and protection, that He will fight your battles for you, that He will provide for you. We find it throughout Scripture. Fear not, you do not need to be afraid. But with the birth of Jesus, we know that something different happened. Of course, we know it was Emmanuel, God with us, who is now on this earth. But I believe that something different took place when Jesus was born. 1 John 4.18 gives us a little bit of a clue into what was taking place. It says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. Torment, he that feareth, is not made perfect in love. I believe in that moment of Jesus' birth. I believe that perfect love stepped on to the stage in that moment. And its first act we find because the first words recorded were fear not. I believe perfect love stepped onto the stage to fight fear for you and I. It said fear no longer has the reign on this earth. Fear no longer has the privilege to afflict you. But perfect love is here now. And I'm here to combat fear. Now we know the world and the enemy did not really know what was taking place as this child was born. 
despite all the prophecies, despite all the clues, man did not know what was taking place really. And the enemy didn't know what was taking place in this little manger in Bethlehem that nobody was watching. The enemy was not concerned about. But I believe even though they did not realize exactly what was happening, I believe that when Jesus was born, they knew that something had happened. I believe the devil knew. I'm not sure what it is, but something has just changed because perfect love has stepped onto the scene. Never before had God robed himself in flesh. Never before had the divine walked amongst humankind like this. Never before had perfect love taken on shape like this. Something was happening. Something was moving. Suddenly there was something present on this earth that hadn't happened before. And without fully understanding why, I believe fear became afraid on that day. I believe demons began to be tormented. Disease became distressed. Death was disturbed on that day. Anxiety got a little bit anxious when Jesus was born. Depression began to experience despair. Sorrow got melancholy. Worry got uncertain. Hurt and pain started feeling a bruising. Bitterness got offended. Anger got irritated. Addiction started to get withdrawals. Confusion became disoriented. Guilt and shame became humiliated. And sin got a little bit scared in that moment that Jesus was born. Because perfect love was here now. And where perfect love Fear cannot have a grip. It cannot have a grasp. Jesus Christ came and he broke something that had never been broken before. Oh, come on. I'm thankful perfect love showed up in a manger one night. I'm thankful perfect love showed up and said, fear not. You don't have to be afraid anymore. Thank you, Jesus. Perfect love is now here, so it's all different. Fear is defined as that which may cause flight. And there's a lot of things that have happened in my life that have uh, given thought to me taking flight. (laughs) And this morning I just want to take a look at a couple of fears that I believe Jesus took away when he came. The first thing is an obvious one, but I don't think that it's, a, it's by any mean one that we can gloss over. Because the first thing that he did was he took away the fear of approaching God. Without going into too much detail until Jesus was born. Approaching God was no simple thing. It was not getting out of bed and throwing on some clothes and getting in the car and going to church. There are chapters in almost entire books of the Bible devoted to how man was to approach God. There were certain sacrifices for certain things, different sacrifices for different sins. There were sacrifices for certain times, sacrifices for certain events. And while provision may have been given in some circumstances, there was no leniency for how to approach God. You had to come to Him in the prescribed methods. You had to do it in the right order. You couldn't just do it however you wanted. No, there was a certain way that man must approach God. We see Cain tried to offer a sacrifice outside of the parameters of God and he was rejected. We know that Uzzah touched the ark and was killed simply for touching it because that's not what God prescribed. People were afraid when God appeared 
on Mount Sinai. They trembled and wanted nothing to do with that God. And when we look at approaching God in the Old Testament, it was something that had to be approached with an element of fear more than just respect. The words used for respect and fear in the Old Testament contain the word terror. There was a terror when you approach God. That's why they would, uh, everyone would wait for the high priest to go in once a year and there was a moment of respect but there was a moment of terror of whether he had done everything right, of whether everything would be accepted because it had to be done in the right order. And we find the angel appearing to the shepherds at night. And while there is debate about their exact place in society and where they fit on the social strata, it can be said with assurity that the shepherds were not the upper class of society. They were not the wealthy of society. They were not the A-list celebrities. But they represent the common man, if you would take it, you and I. They represent the everyday person. They worked hard. They supported their families. They probably had a little extra outside of their needs, but they weren't rolling in cash being shepherds. They weren't part of that upper society. They weren't part of the religious community. They were just everyday people. And so when we take the weight of all of the Old Testament, when we take the weight of all of those rules and regulations that God had previously given as instructions for approaching Him, and then we take a look at the shepherds who were no more than common individuals, it adds so much more weight to the fact that these shepherds were the first people and they were just feet or inches away from the Son of God when they knelt at that manger. It adds such a weight to what it meant for those shepherds to come and kneel at a manger that man hadn't even got within a a, a hundred yards of God's presence like that. And here God said, fear not, I have made the way available to you. I have made a way where you can approach God. I have made a way where anyone can come. They were occupying a place that could only be dreamed of by the vast majority of people. But Jesus Christ, we know, came to break down that middle wall of partition. We know the veil was rent at His death, but the pulling apart, I believe, started when He was born. I believe that that curtain that was in the temple, there was a pulling apart that started there because shepherds can now approach Him. Publicans can now approach Him. Prostitutes now approached Him. And this was unheard of before. But Jesus came and He said, Fear not. You don't have to have terror when you approach Me. No, you can come and kneel before me. Fear not, you can come to God. In fact, the requirements changed so much. They changed so much. Whereas you had to have the right animal, you had to have the right everything just exactly right, the right day of the week, everything laid out. Now Jesus Christ has changed the requirements so much that in Matthew chapter 11 verse 28 we find the requirements to approach Jesus now. He says, come unto me, all ye that are la- that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. No, you don't need a sacrifice today. No, you don't need to dress a certain way. No, you don't have to have it all figured out. No, you don't have to be religious. No, you don't have to have the right lineage. No special circumstance. No set time. No, if you are laboring, if you are heavy laden, if you need rest today, then fear not. He has made a way for you today. He has made a way available for you today. You don't have to be afraid to approach God, but you can come and kneel at His feet. 
fear not, the way to Him is open now. I'm thankful that God made a way for me to approach Him. I'm thankful. I, you, we all know we're all perfect now, right? <laughs> if you could have seen me back then. But I'm thankful that there was not a requirement for me to come to Him. I simply had to come. I'm thankful that when I decided to come to an altar, I didn't have to do a bunch of stuff. But I simply had to come and say, Lord, I need you in my life. Lord, save a sinner like me. And He reached down and said, you know what? I know all of that stuff in the past. And I know how man used to have to approach me. But now you can just come open and without fear. I'm thankful that He said, Fear not, perfect love is now here. I don't have to be afraid because he has opened the way to approach him. Jesus allowed the shepherds to come freely. The second thing, we find that the shepherds, after they saw this miraculous thing, after they saw this heavenly angelic choir, sorry, you know thoughts cross my mind and that's way off That's like, there's left field and then there's outside of the stadium. And that's outside the stadium getting a hot dog somewhere. (laughs) But we find that after the angels appeared to the shepherds, after all of this takes place, something miraculous really, I think we can call angels appearing as something miraculous. You would tell us about it. (laughs) You wouldn't keep it quiet. You tell somebody about it, so I think we can count it in the miraculous. But the shepherds are now faced with a choice. They're faced with a choice after the miraculous. After they are told to fear not, they are told where they can find the child, where he is laid. And they are faced with a choice. Now to you and I, it seems like an easy choice, of course, if we are are going to uh, go see the Messiah, what what, what Israel has waited hundreds of years for, why would you not go? But they are still faced with a choice. They can go or they can stay. They can go or they can stay. They have heard the voice of God through the angelic choir. They have heard God's calling, God's purpose for what He wants for them in that moment. And they are faced with a choice. They can either do what God has called them and follow the message that He has given them. Or they can stay where they are, never... They would have had a great story to tell either way. It would have been a great story if they would have all gone back to sleep and the next day got up and said, Hey, last night we saw an angelic choir and they sang to us. They'd have got a few strange comments too, probably. Why don't you go back to the hills from whence you came? Maybe. Since it was back then and they had to say whence because that's the KJV, right? But sometimes we can, and if you've heard me speak at all in the last month, it will be no surprise in what I'm going to say. But God has told us to fear not in what He has called us to do and in His purpose. In Luke chapter 5 and verse 8, we find Simon Peter has an encounter with Jesus. And it says, when Simon Peter saw it, this is uh, Jesus has come and he is, he is taught from the boats. And afterwards, he tells Peter, go launch out into the deep. And Peter says, we fished all night. And Jesus says, go ahead and do it anyway. And so they go and they catch a bunch of fish. And it says, when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished and all that were with him at the draught of the fishes which they had taken. And so also was James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. 
Again, we do not have time to go through every single fear not. But we find in this instance that Jesus tells Simon Peter after a miraculous event, no less miraculous than the angels appearing to the shepherds, he tells him, fear not. Why would he have to tell Simon to not be afraid? Is he afraid of the fish? Is he afraid of catching too many fish? What is he afraid of? We find a few verses that we read just a few verses prior. It says, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. The calling of God does something to you and I when God speaks into our life. When God begins to say things into our life. It begins to reveal things inside of us. And we begin to see who we are in comparison to Jesus Christ. That's what we find Peter doing. As he comes and falls down at his feet and says, Lord, I know who I am. Lord, I know what I've done. Lord, I know that I'm a sinful man. And even though he didn't have a full revelation of who Jesus was at this point, he recognized that there was something different about this man. There was something greater about this man. And Jesus says, fear not. I know you're sinful, but I'm still going to use you. Jesus said, fear not. I'm willing to use you. In fact, I'm not just going to leave it here and you're going to be a great fisherman. No, I'm going to make you a fisher of men from this point on. You see, when Jesus calls us, suddenly a comparison enters into our life. And we begin to compare ourselves with the one who has called us. And suddenly when God says, I want to use you, I want to do something with your life, suddenly my faults become magnified. Suddenly my unworthiness is increased. Suddenly I find other inabilities in my life and the ones I knew about get deepened. Yet Jesus tells him, fear not. When I see myself in light next to Jesus and his voice and his calling, I feel the same. Lord, who am I that you could use such a person? Lord, how can I do what you have asked me to do? Lord, what do I have that I can offer you? And to that person today, I say to you as the angel said to the shepherds who found themselves in the same circumstance, unworthy, with really nothing to offer. And Jesus says... Fear not, I can use you. Fear not, I have called you. Don't be afraid of what I'm asking you to do. I know you're unworthy. I know you don't have the ability that you think you do. But I'm calling you. So if I'm calling you, don't be afraid to do what I have called you to do. You see, if it was based on me and what I can do and who I am, there's some reason to fear. (laughs) We heard Wednesday night about... Uh, Brother Gene's plumbing activities. (laughs) I think I have a little bit of that myself. And that you think, well, I've got a little bit of knowledge. I can do that. (laughs) I can do that. (laughs) I can connect all the gas in my house and have Brother Mike come over and help me run the lines and then put in the stove and change all the orifices. I'm sure I can do that. Everyone says it's easy. Well, Brother Mike made it easy, and changing the orifices on the stove were real easy. But they didn't tell me about the ones in the oven. They didn't tell me there's something you have to change from natural gas to propane in your oven. And so I turned the stove on. I was like, oh, see? Look at that. Perfect. Perfect flame, perfect height. And I turned on the oven. Flambe. Right there. Permanently set on broil. (laughs) You get just enough knowledge that you're scary, really. (laughs) 
right? It'd be better for everyone else if you just didn't know anything about it. I remember one time, this is, I've done some really dumb things. Uh, this was probably the dumbest. Well, no, no, I'm not going to rank them. Because I already thought of another one that was dumber. <laughs> but in the one house we lived in, I couldn't figure out where the main water shutoff was. So I fixed the bathtub <clears throat> and the faucets on the bathtub with the mains on. That means, you know, if you ever take the faucet off, the water just shoots out. So now I'm in the bathtub fixing the faucet with the water just shooting straight at me. That's pretty dumb. <laughs> and then as you get the faucet closer, I like holding your thumb over the faucet. You get it closer, then the water's no longer shooting at you, but shooting over the entire bathroom now. <laughs> and you know there's no point in saying I need a towel because you need like a shop vac or something. Might as well wait till we're done. But at least you fixed the bathtub and got bathed at the same time. <laughs> Learn the lesson. Do it faster next time. No. <laughs> but when God calls us, we begin to have these fears. We begin to see ourselves in, in, in the light of next to Him. And when I begin to think, if it was based upon me, if it was based upon my ability, then based by my home repairs, there's reason to fear <laughs> when God calls me to do something. But my ability to accomplish and do for the kingdom is not based just on me, but on Him working through me. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 9 it says, And He said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I'm thankful that His grace is sufficient for me. Now, what that means, now growing up, I didn't know how much a lot of stuff cost because every time I asked my parents, they would always say, enough. Well, how much is that? Enough. Well, how much is enough? I don't know, but it was enough. That's what that means. His grace is enough. Where does that end? I don't know, but whatever you ask, His grace is enough. Lord, you've called me to do this, and I can't do it. You know what? His grace is enough. Fear not. His grace is enough. If it's to do something small, if it's to do something big, I'm here to tell you today, fear not. His grace is enough to cover all of my faults, all of my failures, all of my inabilities. I'm thankful that His grace is more than enough to cover all that I need. But you don't know what I've done. Let me tell you this morning, His grace is enough. I can't do this and I don't know how to do that. Let me tell you, His grace is enough. What if I enter in to His calling with what He has called me to do with a view towards His grace and not towards my inabilities? I know I can't do it. That's news to nobody. But what I need to hear today is fear not. My grace is enough for you. My grace is sufficient for you. So I'm going to step into what He's called me to do. I'm going to go like the shepherds made the choice. I'm going to go and see where the child lays. I'm going to go and do what God God has called me to do fear not the reason that I struggle to step out and do what call, God is calling me to do is because of fear 
But when I understand, understand that perfect love casts out all fear. And I begin to understand that I look at situations based on performance. I begin to look at what I can do and what I cannot do. But I need to understand that His love is not based upon my success or failure. When I understand that whether I fail or succeed, He will not love me more or less. When I understand that His love is not dependent upon what I do, but it's the driving force behind me. All of a sudden, that perfect love propels me past my fears. All of a sudden, that perfect love says, you know what? I can do what God is calling me to do because I know He loves me whether I succeed or whether I think I mess up. And then I begin to couple that with what has been given and put inside of me. There's something in you that speech class can't ever teach you. There's something in you that school can't ever give you. We know that Peter falls before Jesus and says, Lord, you can't, I, I can't be used by you. Lord, I'm a sinful man. There's, there's no way. But we find Peter standing up in Acts chapter 2. And I know his personality says and dictates that he should have been the one because he was the big mouth all the time. But let me tell you, there's something inside of you more than charisma. There's something inside of you more than personality. And Peter stands up and begins to preach as the Spirit of God gives the utterance to him let me tell you if you have the spirit of God you've got more power in you than this world could ever think to give you you have the ability to do what God has called you I don't care your age young people and what God is asking you to do if you've got the power of the spirit he will give you the utterance the ability to do what he has called you to do don't be afraid God is calling to you and I and I close this morning Sister Sherry comes to the keyboard. Fear, a reason to cause you to take flight. And while I've spoken of two fears, the fear to do what God has called you to do, the shepherds went after God spoke to them. And I've spoken about the fear of approaching God. The shepherds were the people that showed up, seemingly impossible until that moment. There are many others here, though, that experience fear in your life. That experience reasons that make you think, I want to take flight. Jesus said, fear not. And I say the same to you this morning, fear not. On this Sunday before Christmas. Whatever it is that's causing you fear in your life, the first words uttered after His birth were, fear not. Jesus said, don't. Don't worry about your provision. He said, I I see the sparrows. I know the number of hairs on your head. Do I not value you more? Fear not. Be not afraid. He says, fear not. It is His will to give you the kingdom of God. The author of Hebrews tells us that the Lord is my helper. So I'm not going to fear what man can do to me because I know the Lord is with me. I won't be afraid. Jesus tells the woman who is in need of healing and presses her way through the crowd and touches the hem of Jesus' garment. He tells her to fear not. Let me tell you if you need healing, don't be afraid of the sickness. Perfect love casts out all fear. He is here to cast out your fear. Jesus tells John when he falls down and is dead in Revelation, when he sees Jesus' glory, to fear not. We find all of these instances throughout Scripture. The list goes on and on. And Jesus came to counter your fear. He is perfect love. 
You see, fear has a way of distorting what God has given us. 2 Timothy 1.7, a verse that I'm sure many of you have heard. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear. But He's given us one of power, spirit of love, and a spirit of a sound mind. He's, not, he's comparing things here. He's comparing spirits with spirits. A spirit of fear. It's not just power, love, and a sound mind. It's a spirit of power. And you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. It's a spirit of love. And it's the spirit of a sound mind. You know, that's why you can, you can listen and read and, and, and do all sorts of things to fix what's going on in your mind. But there's a spirit attached to it. And you need the spirit of a sound mind. And fear has a way of distorting those things. And we see this exemplified in the nativity story through the character of Herod even. Whose fear challenged his power and he begins to make decisions. And any semblance of love that he could have had in his life is turned to hate as he orders children to and under to be killed. And drove him to make impulsive, crazy decisions as his mind began to leave him. Because the spirit of fear will distort anything good and anything of God inside your life. And if you've battled it, you know the struggle against the spirit of fear. And perhaps you haven't experienced the spirit of fear, but you've had moments of fearfulness. We all have. Fear will steal the power that God has for you. Fear will steal the love that He has demonstrated towards you. And fear will transform your mind. You'll see things that aren't even there. Just like when you see a group laughing over there and you know they're talking about you. Well, they probably are. Don't be afraid of that. They are. (laughs) But I want to close with this this morning. The opposite of fear is boldness. It's boldness. The shepherds went from fear trembling on a hillside to let us go now. Paul tells us we no longer have to fear entry into his presence, but now we have access and can approach with confidence. And the author of, author of Hebrews challenges us to enter into the throne room boldly. Now we do not with trepidation approach God anymore, but we come with boldness. We come with confidence. We can stand. We can lift our hands. We can call on His name whenever we want. We no longer have to be afraid of how we approach God, but we can come boldly. And there's other instances throughout Scripture of people that walk boldly, that allow the spirit of fear to leave, and we see the opposite of boldness come in. But I think there's one great example we find in Scripture. It's found in Acts chapter 4. And this is your solution this morning. It's not profound. You probably could have told me this, and we could have all just saved all this time and just gone home if you'd have told me at the start. But the disciples are challenged in their faith. They're challenged in what God is doing through them. They come to a moment where they have to make some decisions of are we going to continue doing what God has called us to do? Are we going to continue to walk the way that God has set before us? Peter and John have been uh, taken to to the council. They have been beaten. They have been threatened. They are told to discontinue the work that God has called them to do. And they are faced with a choice. And is any... As you probably would as well, they gathered together. They gathered believers together. 
But I think it would be impossible for them to gather without there being some element of at least whether it, it probably isn't a spirit of fear, but questions and fears begin to arise. I know if we had that same challenge, I know we all would say it, but if they actually began taking us prisoner and beating people for what we believe, there may be a small element of fear that would have to be dealt with. And so they're faced with a choice. Do we go in the face of society? Do we go in the face of the religious rulers? Knowing that we're right, yet still we're faced with this situation. And so they begin to pray. And we find in Acts chapter 4 and verse 29, we find where we can catch the hint that there is an element of some sort of fear there. They say, and now, Lord, behold their threatenings. I think that word right there tells us that they're calling them threatenings, that it's real, that it's, it's something that's there that they have to think about, that is playing on their mind because they pray about it. And they say, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word by stretching forth thy hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And they spake the word of God with boldness. You see, sometimes we don't need the situation to change. They left there that day. I don't know if they started praying with an end in mind. I know I do. Lord, fix this and here's how. Here's the best way, but I guess if you want to do it different, you can do that too. But this is the best way. But we don't find where anything ever happened to the religious rulers in this moment. We don't find where they left and there was a priest standing at the door saying, Oh, by the way, we've decided to change it all. You can say whatever you want now. We don't find any of that. When they entered that prayer meeting, they were forbade to speak the name of Jesus. They were threatened with beating and imprisonment when they entered that place. And when they left, it was all still there. They were still under the same threat. The situation had not changed. And sometimes in our own life, we don't need everyone else to change. We don't need the situation to change. We just need the Holy Ghost to shake us and get rid of the fear. And boldness can take its place. I believe that we need a holy boldness in our situations. I believe we need a holy boldness in our families. I believe we need a holy boldness in this community. I believe the Holy Ghost needs to shake me so I can speak His promises again with boldness. I know the circumstances threatening what God has said but I'm going to pray for boldness and proclaim His promises one more time. That my family will be saved. That I will see healing in my life. That I will see revival. And I know it doesn't look like it but I replace that spirit of fear with boldness in my life. Oh, I need the Holy Ghost to shake me. I need to hear the Spirit say to me today, fear not. I need the Holy Ghost to stir my spirit and say, don't be afraid. Don't fear for the situation. And I'm here to challenge you today to not fear, but to allow His love to give you a boldness, to allow His love to affect you so much today that you become bold in your proclamations. You become bold in the face of sickness. You become bold in the face of addictions. You become bold in the face of sin that has plagued your life because His love casts out 
all fear. He came to this earth to cast out fear. And so you could have boldness today in your life as we stand this morning. Romans chapter 8 and verse 15. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. Again to fear. That means at one point you were in fear. But Christ set you free. He set you free from fear. I want you to grasp that this morning. That there was a point in your life that fear ruled your life. But Jesus Christ set you free by His Spirit. So He broke the chains of fear in your life at one point. That's what it says. Because if I go back, I can't go back if they weren't broken. So you have a choice this morning. Just as the shepherds did on the hill that day. Do we listen to fear not and go and do what He's he's called us to do? Go and do what He's told us to do. Or do we step back into the bondage of fear? There's people that have stepped back into the bondage of fear in this place today. I'm here to tell you Jesus Christ came to this earth to get rid of that fear in your life. He was born in a manger and He was here to cast out all your fear. But ye have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father, we sang about it. All I have to do is call on the name of Jesus. That's all I have to do. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Maybe sometimes I just need to grab a hold of the witness of the Spirit again. You see, that's what happened in Acts chapter 4 is the Spirit began to bear witness with their spirits. Let me tell you, when was the last time in your fearful situation, in your fearful condition, that your spirit grabbed a hold of the Spirit of God? Because let me tell you, it's like the old timers say, maybe I just got to pray through. Maybe I just need His Spirit to get a hold of me again. And His Spirit will begin to bear witness with my spirit and say, you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be bound. You don't have to go back to the chains of bondage. And I'm here to tell you today, if you need confirmation that you are a child of God, if you need confirmation that you can walk in boldness, that you don't have to fear, then the Spirit is here today to bear witness with your spirit. And I'm here to challenge you. Let the Spirit confirm to you again who you are because of Jesus Christ. Who you are today. No, you are not depressed. No, you are not bound. No, you can be released of all of those things today because of Jesus Christ. To those who need God, fear not. You can approach Him today. You can approach Him in your sinful state. You can approach Him with your sickness. You can approach Him with the need of provision. You can approach Him in your time of need. You can approach Him in your worry and your distress. You can approach God today. To those He's speaking to, fear not. God can and God will. And He wants to use you today. His birth over 2,000 years ago, whether it was this time of year or not, His birth 2,000 years ago brought the perfect love of liberty. And you and I can still access it today. I want us to pray right now. Lord Jesus, we come before you. I'm thankful that you came to this world.